Good morning, church. Happy New Year to everybody. It is good to have you with us. Hope your uh, 2015 is off to a great start. I know that for some, uh, this year has already included uh, the blessing of new life. We have Ezekiel John Burns uh, with us now, uh, just a couple of days old. So, uh, John, I'm not sure how you swung that, my friend, but uh, you've got a legacy now. And uh, I know that 2015 has also uh, included the loss of life for some. Uh, just this morning, we lost uh, Mike Sexton uh, to cancer. And uh, if you know Mike, you know it's been a, a valiant battle and a valiant effort in fighting that, that horrible disease. And this morning, uh, he went to be with the Lord. And so I would ask that you would uh, remember all of these families, those who are adding new life and those who are going to be dealing with the loss of life. Uh, would you remember all of them in your prayers in the next couple of days and weeks? Let me pray uh, right now, especially for the Sextons. Father, at times like this, uh, we just kind of stand confused and sad and, and upset and scared and worried and frustrated and all the above, Lord, and we ask that you would come and make yourself known. I ask that you would bring the Holy Spirit into this place and do what only he can, make sense of our mess and bring joy out of our sadness. Father, we know that this life is a race and there is an end to it, and so it shouldn't surprise us this morning that Mike just reached the end before we did. He ran faster he ran harder. He ran with more joy and more diligence to that finish line, and therefore he crossed before us. Would you now be with those who are still running, especially his girls and his wife? Would you help them to run with more diligence and perseverance and joy than ever before? Would you carry them in this race for a while, if need be? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week, if you missed it, was our uh, Bring Your Elder to Work Day, and... Uh, Although there were moments in the service that our elders led for us last week where I was sitting there just cringing, uh, overall, for the most part, I was so pleased with those guys and, gr and grateful that they had an opportunity to share with you their heart and their hopes for this church. What I really wanted you to do was, was to see what an amazing group of shepherds you are led by, and I hope that you got a glimpse into that last week. So elders, well done. Uh, we'll see you again in a year. Uh, from, from that, I also wanted to give you a quick update on uh, our Power of One. If you're joining us this morning, uh, we do something called the Power of One. It's just really kind of seven action items that we take each week that we think, when done collectively, can result in amazing good. And one of those is giving a dollar. And I, I keep forgetting to tell you guys how that's been going. But every week that you give a dollar in those bins, we take that money, about four or $500, and we use it to bless a family in need. A few weeks ago, we helped the family buy some Christmas presents for their their three kids that weren't able to. Uh, this week we helped a, a woman pay her rent who was running out of time. We helped pay some medical expenses for some families that we know and love. And so thank you so much. The things that you are doing are resulting in great good. I just want to challenge you uh, to keep up on that. And thank you as well. I'm going to say it one more time for bringing everybody uh, that you did on Christmas Eve. If you weren't with us, it was an amazing night. One of my favorite Christmas Eves ever. There was a spirit in this place that was just contagious. And I think we celebrated the birth of Christ well. And I think we invited a lot of people to do it with us. And that was fun. So just great job. Thank you so much. Uh, excited about that. This morning, got some cool things to share with you. Lots to talk about. So let's, let's dive right into it. In one of the weirdest Disney movies of all time, Alice in Wonderland, a young girl named Alice finds herself at a crossroads. She's in a strange land. She is unsure of which direction she should take. And in that moment, she's visited by a very odd, mysterious, pink and purple striped cat whose uh, permanently plastered on smile is a very, very creepy thing uh, to behold. But as she's lost and unsure of where to go, they have a conversation. This is what it looks like. Check it out. Hmm, I, I wonder which way I ought to go. Hello, 
something? Oh! <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I just wanted to ask you which way I ought to go. Well, that depends on where you want to get to. Oh, it really doesn't matter. As long as I can... Then it really doesn't matter which way you go. All right, although most of the things in that movie give me nightmares, um, this one particular moment and conversation stands out to me, and I absolutely love it. I love that particular line that the cat says at the end. If you don't care where you're going, then it doesn't matter which way you go. If you don't care what the future holds or what the future looks like, then it doesn't really matter what you do in the present. If you don't care where you ultimately end up, then it doesn't matter where you start or even if you start. And although that works for Alice in this movie, and at times it works in our life, right? Not caring, throwing our hands up and saying, ah, oh, let the chips fall as they may. At times it's fun to click on the I'm feeling lucky Google button. I don't know, let's see. At times it's fun to let Max on Netflix just pick the movie for you if you have no idea what you want to watch that night. But in most life, in most areas of life, not having any direction, not knowing where you're going, why you're going there, or how you will get there, not having any direction is incredibly debilitating, if not detrimental and destructive. I once heard someone say it this way, if you don't know where you're going, you're guaranteed to get there. So many people look back on life, don't they? They take an evaluation of their life. They look back on their marriage, their finances, their parenting, their careers, and they more or less say, how did I get here? How did I end up here? How did I end up living in this city? How did I end up with all of this debt? How did I end up in this dead-end job? How did I end up in this empty relationship? Well, I can tell you exactly how you ended up there. You never planned otherwise. You never had a clear purpose, and thus, when you let others or luck or time or circumstance or happenstance determine your outcome and be the driving force in your life, you will end up exactly where you should expect to, in the middle of nowhere. Because if you have nothing in sight, no goals, no plans, no purposes, you will end up there in the middle of nowhere. And we know this to be true. We know it takes intentionality and planning and purpose to make things happen. It could be something as simple as going to the grocery store or planning a dream vacation or starting your four-year, maybe 10-year college degree. It could be any number of things, but we know that we have to determine what we want, where we want to get to, and what we envision doing in order to make those two things happen. And if you don't end up doing Something, you won't end up ever doing anything. If you don't know ultimately where you're going to go, you won't really go anywhere. And as Ryan mentioned, this time of year, this truth and reality hits us hard, doesn't it? New Year's resolutions. All the time of year to evaluate where you've been, where you currently are, and where you want to go. The time of year where you assess how tight the belt has been fitting as of late. The time of year where you assess how dusty the workout equipment has become time of year where you assess how many projects around the house were started but never finished, right? It's a time of year where you assess where you've been and then you commit to where you want to go. So we make these resolutions. We commit to reaching a certain weight, running a certain number of miles, starting or finishing a certain degree, saving or paying off a certain number of debt. And I love that. I love it. This time of year, we make a plan. Now, if statistics are true, 86% of us will forget that plan by February 1st, but that's okay. 
Don't listen to those guys. But you see, what's true in life, what's true at the new year, what's true in terms of getting somewhere and making plans and setting goals in order to know whether or not you're actually getting there, that's also true as it pertains to church. In 1963, the University Christian Church in New York put the following sign on their front door. Gone out of business, forgot what our business was. What an incredibly depressing thing to say, especially for a church. And yet it happens all of the time. Let me share an illustration with you this morning that I think will probably drive this home. Imagine that I hire you to do a job, and that job is to pull this string every 30 seconds. You just have to yank it every 30 seconds. Now, chances are, for the first two and a half minutes, you will love your job and do it with great diligence. 30 seconds. Oh. 30 seconds. But after about two and a half minutes, you're going to start to hate your job, if not your life, because this is incredibly monotonous and boring, is it not? Chances are you'll forget, and so you do a couple like makeup pulls, like, or you're really smart, and you're like, you know what, I can just, I'll take the afternoon off, you see? But just pulling this rope time and time and time again, after a while, you'll not want to do it anymore. But let's imagine that we follow this rope back through these amazing faux stained glass things. Imagine that we follow it through outside into the deep, thick, cold, shovable snow that's out there. Okay, imagine we follow this thing and it ends up going through some, some pulleys and some levers and different things and it ends up at the corner of Bowles and Sims. The rope actually controls the crosswalk to that intersection. And so every 30 seconds when you pull it, you're helping people to cross a very busy intersection to get somewhere where they need to go, possibly even to this church. Now, maybe you last four and a half minutes doing this job as opposed to just two and a half minutes, but you see how a purpose maybe enlivens you to want to do what you were doing with more fervor, with more energy, with more passion, with more excitement? When you see what the goal is, when you see what the purpose is, you understand why you were doing it and you want to keep on doing it. It completely changes things. And I think this analogy describes the Christian life pretty well. We start off in Christ and we're so excited about it. We're like, yeah! Okay, maybe not quite like that, but we're excited about Jesus. We want others to know about him, but over time, it's kind of like, I got to read my Bible. I got to invite people to church. If I get the chance, I'll give some money. Now you just start pulling it. You don't really see what the purpose is. You lose your passion. And I don't want that to happen to us. I don't want that to happen to this church. We will never put a sign on the door that says out of business because we forgot what our business was. Never. We will always remember what our business is. See, some people in a lot of churches define success as keeping people happy, keeping the budget balanced, and keeping the doors open. All right, well, we did, we did all three of those, so let's just do it again this year. No. That's not a big enough or good enough reason to keep pulling this rope. I want to do so much more than those three things. And I think, church, what lies at the end of this rope for this church is incredible. I think it is greater than you could even imagine. And so this morning, I want to share with you what I think is on the other end of that rope. I want to share with you where I think we need to be over the next five years, how we're going to get there, and what I envision it looking like once we arrive. If you can believe it, five years from now, we'll be in the year 2020. 
in Back to the Future 2, 2015 was like the crazy, you can't even believe it, so far out there sci-fi future. Well, that's right now. And 2020 is five years from now. Can you imagine? That's incredible. But what I love about that number is that more often than not, we associate 2020 with vision, right? And seeing things with perfect clarity. And because we're just so cool and creative here, we've come up with a 2020 vision for West Bowles. A vision that we want to have that is clear and compelling. And a vision that we want to see come to fruition by the year 2020. So I want to share with you the things that I envision and hope to see in five years in this church. Are you ready to hear it? Let me share a few of these things with you this morning. Okay, don't clap yet. Clap after if you're still excited. <laughs> I'm going to share a lot of information with you this morning. I'm going, to, I'm going to throw a lot at you. This will not be the first or the only time that we, well, it is the first, but it won't be the only time that we go through this information. We will revisit it a lot over the next couple of weeks and months. I will give you opportunity to share with me your thoughts and ask your questions about these things. But uh, let's, let's get down to the nitty gritty. I think it starts with a purpose statement. This won't surprise you, it's above the stage. This church has been and will continue to be about two things, loving God and loving others. See, if it was good enough for Jesus, it will be good enough for us. When asked what's most important, what two commands we should focus on, Jesus said, I want you to start a love revolution. I want you to devote yourself to the love of God that he has for you. I want you to give him back that love. And then I want you to shower others with that love. I want you to make a big deal out of love. And so we're going to do that. We're going to commit ourselves to this purpose. But I want you to know this morning that love serves a purpose. It's incredibly important that we understand our love of God and our love of others is intended and designed to do something. I don't want you to ever think there's a period at the end of that phrase. In light of all the other things Jesus said, the Great Commission, the commands early in Acts, there is a goal, there is a hope, there is a purpose to our love. We devote ourselves to love so that others may find and lose themselves in that same love. See, we love for the sake of others. We devote ourselves to loving God and loving others so ultimately others will come into a love relationship with God. Jesus himself proved this to us. He loved God, did he not? He loved us, did he not? But it didn't just stop there. Those two things motivated him, compelled him, forced him to do things for us. He loved God and he loved others and he wanted others to love God. He wanted others to taste the love of God, to experience the love of God, to get lost in the love of God, and we want to be about the same thing. See, it'd be easy for us to take those words, love God and love others, and just hear them as kind of a universal, generic, standard issue command. Like, oh yeah, love God, love others. I do that if and when I go to church, or if and when I'm nice to my in-laws during the holidays, or if and when I help the homeless guy up the street. Yeah, I love God and I love others. Right? Loving, it, it means going to church and being nice to people. I think it means more than that. See, I think the goal, the purpose, the mission of our love is not to be nice to people. It's to overwhelm them with the love of God so that they lose themselves in the love themselves. It's not just about showing love. It's about sharing love so others will experience the love. Does that make any sense? I'm not sure if I'm saying it well. So I want our purpose to be love God and love others, but I want you to know there's a reason we do that. There's a purpose behind that. We are hoping this love will result in something. 
And this is that something. I want West Bowles Community Church to love the individuals and families of Southwest Denver with the love of God so that they will belong to a community of Christ followers, they will believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they will become a true disciple of Christ. That's why we love you see how much, um, much larger, much more important our love is now in light of those three words? Your love relationship with God and you showering love on others, there's a purpose and a reason to it. It's so that they will belong, believe, and ultimately become. This is more than just loving for loving's sake. This is more than just being nice to people or showing up to church. This is more than just a little phrase that sounds good or makes us feel good. This is loving because it's missional. This is loving because it keeps the doors open. This is a love that leads somewhere. And so we're committing ourselves over the next five years to not simply attracting attenders or being sensitive to seekers or even just caring for Christians. We're committing ourselves to loving God and others so sacrificially, so tangibly, that they will belong, believe, become. Does that make sense? Now, the single greatest way that we do that is not by putting those three words on banners all over the building. Although we may, because I'm kind of a banners guy. I like banners. And I like those three words a lot. And I'm going to put them in front of you all of the time. We love so others will belong, believe, and become. But how do we go about doing that? Well, the greatest witness is your personal witness. It won't happen when we just talk about those three words. It will happen when we embody those three words, especially the last one becoming. When we become disciples who make disciples, amazing things will happen. It's a guarantee. Now, here's where the problem starts, though. A lot of us hear this word disciple, and we kind of get filled with a little bit of angst and, and trepidation, right? Some of us remember some, some sermon we once heard or video we watched where a guy was talking about a first century rabbi, and being a disciple was like walking in his footsteps and being covered with his dirt, so that kind of weirded us out. Others of us hear disciple, and we think of kind of a strange denomination that we're not really sure what they do or what they believe. Others of us think it's just an old-fashioned word. It doesn't apply anymore. Disciple, what, what are you talking about? Jesus said, I want you to become a disciple who goes out and makes disciples. So we better understand what that word means. We better not just cast it off as old-fashioned. We better understand completely. So here's how I define a disciple. A disciple is someone who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. A disciple is someone who knows the biblical narrative and the core of the gospel. A disciple is someone who knows how to share their story of faith with others. A disciple is somebody who knows the importance of giving sacrificially of their time, their talent, and their treasure. A disciple is somebody who knows their weaknesses and temptations. They know they are far from perfect, and they admit those shortcomings to others. A disciple is somebody who knows how to connect with God and discern his voice through worship and spiritual disciplines. And a disciple is someone who knows their spiritual gifts and has found ways to put them to use. This is a disciple. This is someone who has devoted their lives fully to Jesus Christ. This, church, is the abundant life. If you know these things and devote yourselves to these things, you will live out your purpose and your mission. So we're talking about New Year's resolutions this time of year. How about we start knocking off some of these? Scripture says physical exercise is of some benefit, but spiritual exercise is even more important. 
How about we devote ourselves to, to becoming masters of some of these things? Look at this list. Take an evaluation of your life. How are you doing on these things? How well do you think you know and live out these principles and these practices? Because the best way we will help others to believe, belong, and become, the best way we will help others to do that is if we ourselves commit to doing that. I want us to belong to one another. I want us to believe with all of our heart that Jesus is the Lord. And I want us to become disciples of his. I want that for me and I want that for you. And when we do that in here, it will spread to out there and will happen for others as well. Think about this, church. If at the end of the day, West Bowles was filled with people committed to becoming those things and equally committed to helping others become those things, whoo, watch out, Littleton. Watch out. Remember back in the, in the New Testament, when certain disciples would come to town, everybody would get all crazy, like, <gasps> they're coming. These crazy guys are coming. They're gonna shake everything up. What if that was West Bowles' reputation? West Bowles is coming. They're coming to change everything for good. So that's what I think living out our purpose and our mission will look like individually. But can you imagine what all of that would look like for a church, for a community of people. I can imagine. In fact, I've been imagining. And I want to share with you this morning what, I, what I've seen. If and when we all commit to loving God, loving others, so that others can believe, belong, and become, this is what I anticipate happening for this church. And it's kingdom-sized advancements and ideas. By the year 2020, I see West Bowles Community Church as a healthy, vibrant church that experiences 20 to 25% annual growth, half of which will be conversion growth. Now, if that happens in five years by 2020, we'll have an average weekly attendance of 2,000 people. Let me unpack this a little bit. 20 to 25% annual growth and 2020 by 2020 are just crazy numbers. But here's the thing, church. Healthy things grow. That's how God designed it to be. It could be kids or plants or hair, but healthy things grow. And the opposite is also true. Right? But, but healthy things like a church will grow. That's how God designed it. That's how he wants it to be. That's why he always talked about the church using terms like fruit, fruitfulness, abundance, multiplication. But true growth, real growth, kingdom growth is new growth. And so I want us to commit ourselves to being a church where half of our growth over the next five years is conversion growth. People who are coming to church and coming to know Christ for the first time ever. If we do that, if we're 2020 by 2020, that will be 1,300 more people than we currently have. That will be 600 people coming to know the Lord as their Savior. Is that a worthwhile goal, church? Is that, is that, is that big enough for us? Now, we will gladly embrace and welcome those who are looking for a new church, who are developing a relationship with Lord. Again, maybe they moved into town. If that's you this morning, welcome. We want you here. But we have to always keep our eyes not only on swapping sheep, but on finding the lost sheep. And so half of our growth will be done through conversion. 
Now, on that note, getting to an average weekly attendance of over 2,000 people, it's not as difficult as you might think. Right now, we're a church of about 700 strong, which, by the way, is a 20% increase from six months ago. So it's already happening. But if we're 700 people, here's how we get to 2020. If each person in this church, we're talking about teens and above, if every single one of us led one person to Christ and helped one, purpose, re, one person reestablish their relationship to Christ, we would reach our goal. In fact, we'd go over the goal. That's every single person in this room helping lead one person to Jesus and helping one other person get back to church. We'd reach our goal. And that's in the next five years, church. I mean, Luther's going to be done with this by the end of the sermon. <laughs> For some of us, this evangelistic spirit and the ability to help somebody find Christ or come back to Christ, it comes naturally. But for others, it's a very difficult thing. And even now, we're like, five years, ah! Church, we can do this. This is why you were made. This is why we exist. This is why the doors are open. And we as a staff are committed to helping you in every single way, from uh, how-tos to hoedowns, from evangelism training to different events. We've got some cool strategies in mind to walk you through this process. But if you're already thinking, I don't know where to start, the power of one, that's where you start. I know at times the power of one feels like this rope. I gotta memorize a verse and give some money and invite somebody to church and bless a family that doesn't know the Lord. I gotta, ah, uh, Church, if you could just see what's at the end of that rope, it's a family that doesn't know the Lord. It's a family that needs some help, that needs some friends. You see, the Sextons over the last several months have had this community to walk them through the difficulty of cancer. They have had people loving them, serving them, helping them every step of the way. There are people in this community that don't have that. There are people who were diagnosed with cancer the same time Mike was, and they didn't have anybody who cared. We're going to change that. We care. We care about you, and you're not going to walk that road alone. So church, pull the string, because if you could see what's at the end of it, you would keep pulling it. You would want to keep pulling it. I know sometimes the power of one feels monotonous and boring and habitual, but nothing could be further from the truth. Now, finally, some people think that getting to a church a size of 2020 will completely change things from our services to our spirit. And at some level, things will change. I mean, change is good and necessary. But at the other level, I think the essence and heart and spirit of this church will always remain the same. See, over the last couple of years, God has cemented and transformed this, this church into a family. I don't know if you can sense it, but this church kind of likes each other. We kind of like hanging out, and we like caring, and we like knowing, and we like being with one another. And that's a huge blessing. On Christmas Eve, we had some friends visit, and they said, y'all are like a family. There was a thousand people in this room that night. It was crazy and berserk, and she still could sense the essence of this church, family. So you see, church, as we add more people, especially new believers, into this church, we're adding them into that spirit, into that family. All the changes we will introduce will be done with that heart and spirit in mind. And the only thing that we'll really need to change will be to add one more service. Look at this building, y'all. Y'all created a space that can house and hold a lot of people. And I love it. So if we added another service, maybe, let's say, for the sake of our community, the sake of our culture, a Sunday night, 
Because our, our, our non-Christian friends are active on the weekends, are they not? They're out doing things. They're, they're, they're busy. So what if we said, we want to minister to you. We want you to wrap up your weekend and kick off your week with us on Sunday night. That's all we'd have to do. And we can minister to thousands and thousands of more people. It's an incredible goal. I hope that we get there. Another goal. These won't take nearly as long, I promise. 220 new households that have officially become members of our family. By that, I mean 220 new households that have gone through our membership class and have said, I believe in your goals, I believe in your values, I believe in your mission, and I want to be a part of it. What was cool is last month when we offered, or two months ago, we offered our first membership class, we had 30 individuals and 15 households represented. And so if we continue that trend, uh, the next one will be at the end of February, we should reach that goal. I want West Bowles Church to be a church that spends at least 20% of its overall budget on mission and benevolent work. That number is not as high as we would like it to be, but that number, if and when we reach it in 2020, will be 20% higher than it currently is. The church found some hard times financially, so they had to make some difficult decisions. Do we cut the building? Do we cut the staff? Or do we cut some of our programming? They decided to cut some of the programming, some of the mission and benevolent work. We're going to get them back. Ultimately, we want to be a church of 50-50 where every dollar in, half of it is spent on those outside of the building. But if our budget stays the exact same, which it won't, but if it does, by 2020, we will spend an average of $280,000 a year on missions and benevolent work. $1.2 million spent in five years to help others know and feel the embrace of God. That's an incredible goal. I want this church to be a church that uses 20% of its building space for nonprofits and parachurch ministries. Ideally, those that serve ethnically diverse populations. If you look around, we're not all that diverse ethnically. But Littleton isn't. Even Colorado isn't. So the Lord's not mad at us that we don't resemble every tribe and tongue, but I think he wants us to be mindful of every tribe and tongue. And so we're going to use this space, which is an incredible space. I don't know if you've looked at it recently. There's thousands of square feet that are unused, unfinished, untapped. So by 2020, we're going to use a significant portion of that space to bless and serve other groups, from college ministries to pregnancy centers to counseling services and everything in between. This building will be busy every day doing ministry. From there, we're going to reduce our debt ratio to 20% of our overall budget. Let me explain it to you this way. Right now, every dollar you give to West Bowles, minus the power of one, 40 cents of that dollar goes to paying our mortgage. We're basically house poor. We've got a great house, but it's costing us an arm and a leg to live in it. And so we want to reduce that number to at least 20%. We want to increase giving and decrease our mortgage so that more of our money, practically 80 cents to the dollar, can go out to blessing and serving and helping other people. And then finally, we're committing to training, mentoring, and preparing 20 interns for full-time ministry. If you look at the stats, not a lot of guys are majoring in Bible anymore. It's supposedly believed that 1,200 pastors are leaving their church each and every month. Those are crazy statistics. I don't know what the big deal is. I love this job. People don't long to be a part of the church. They don't long to lead the church. We're going to try to reverse those trends. We're going to train up 20 of the best and brightest and help pour them, pour ourselves into them so they can pour themselves into this church or other churches. We want to train up the next generation to ultimately take our jobs and take this church and other churches into the next season, into a better season. In five years, by the year 2020, I want West Bowles Church to have 20 to 25% annual growth, average attendance of over 2,000. 
I want us to be a church that has welcomed 220 new households officially into our family. I want us to be a church that spends 20% of its budget outside of these walls. I want us to be a church that uses 20% of these walls to bless and serve nonprofit groups. I want us to reduce our debt so we're not paying 40 cents, but instead 20 cents to the mortgage. And I want us to train 20 interns for full-time ministry. Picture, picture this, having more resources flowing in and out of this church so we can do more for this community. Picture the empty chair next to you being filled with someone who has a brand new relationship with Christ or a restored relationship with Christ. Picture every generation coming together for the sake of the next generation. Picture diverse families coming together to make up one crazy family to bless and serve and strengthen all the other families. Picture a church that's healthy, vibrant, growing, dynamic, dynamic and fulfilling its mission. Can you picture that? Because that's at the end of this rope. That's what's at the end of this rope. If we will each just commit to doing our part and doing it together, we will get somewhere incredible. And unlike Alice, I care deeply where I'm going. And I hope that you do as well. Let me pray over you, and then we're going to take communion together. Father, I thank you for this morning, for a new day, a new year. You are a God of new things. In fact, your promise is that one day you will make all things new. And so we thank you that the, the calendar kind of gives us a moment to stop and reflect on the newness, God, of our life. We don't have to settle for what has been. We don't have to be stuck where we are. God, we can make new things. We can be a part of new things. We can help develop new disciples. And I just pray that we as a church would commit to this vision, God. Would you solidify us together? Would you excite us this morning? Would we see a goal in sight? Would we want to run steadfastly to that goal? God, would each of us grab our rope again? If we haven't grabbed it yet, would you help us to grab it for the very first time? And would we commit to pulling that rope and doing our part, God, to see this church explode, not necessarily numerically, but spiritually, God, explode in its influence, explode in its witness, explode in its ability to bless and serve this community. We want the absolute best for this church and this community, and we ask that you will burn in our hearts deep these goals, this purpose, this mission. Please, God, help us to achieve far greater things than we can ask or imagine. Please make it so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.